Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we are speaking to a fellow podcaster. We sat down with Michelle Greenfield, who is, she's currently a student at the Cornell College of Veterinary Medicine, uh, but she, more importantly, she is the host of the Aqua Docs podcast, which is all about aquatic veterinary practices. So... Uh, Michelle, and that's can- all one word, Aquadox. You can look it up anywhere that you're listening to Aquademia right now. You should definitely check out her episodes. They're really interesting. Definitely. So Michelle was nice enough to reach out to us and uh, you know request a collaboration, and we were able to sort something out. So she's on our podcast. We're on her podcast. So make sure you check her out if you want to hear us talk about Aquademia a little bit too. So uh, really good conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. But before that, check us out on social at Aquademia Pod. You want to reach out to us, a few ways to do that. Send us an email, podcast at aquaculturealliance.org, or fill out our contact us form on our website, aquaculturealliance.org. Education tab, halfway down, you'll see the Aquademia section. Uh, You can click contact us and fill out the form. A lot of people are using it. It's really easy. And we love hearing from you guys. Also, if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. And make sure that you're subscribed to Aquademia wherever you listen so that you get every new episode directly downloaded to your device automatically so you can listen to us whenever you want. Thank you so much for that. And here's our conversation with Michelle Greenfield from Aquadocs. We'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. We're sitting down today with Michelle Greenfield, who is a student at the Cornell College of Veterinary Medicine, and she is here to talk about aquadocs. So, Michelle, before uh, I have you kind of introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you're doing and everything, I, I want to harken back to some of our previous episodes where we've talked about other seafood and aquaculture or you know, just more seafood related podcasts where we talked about with the guys from Monger and some other shows uh, that we'll link to in the show notes. Maddie, we'll make sure that we we kind of find more of those podcasts that we've talked to in the past. But you know that we always like to highlight other industry podcasts because it's really a community. We don't, you know, there's no sense of competition in this media, which is kind of cool. So we like to collaborate with these other podcasts and and introduce our listeners to them so that they can get some really good content from from them too. And Michelle is doing something that I don't, I think you're kind of one of a kind when it comes to this. So uh, very, very niche, but related to our industry. So Michelle, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, where you came from and what you're doing, and then we'll talk about Aquadocs. Awesome. Well, thanks, John. And thanks for having me on today. Really excited to be here. Hey, thanks for coming. And yeah, I think I love what you just emphasized, which is that community aspect, because I think that's something that's so important and really why I started Aquadox, which we'll get into later. But there really isn't a community within aquatic veterinary medicine, and especially for students to really connect with an international community. And so that's one of the reasons why I started. Um, But before we go there, I guess I'll introduce myself. Uh, So like Sean mentioned, I'm a second year veterinary. Actually, I'm a third year now that I just graduated. Yeah, do that. 
Cue the applause. (laughs) (laughs) So I am a third year veterinary student at Cornell College of Veterinary Medicine. And for those of you listening who might not be as familiar with veterinary school, which, you know, no blame to you, you're not in the veterinary curriculum, uh, fish aren't really part of it, right? You study dogs and cats and horses and cows and, you know, any pets that you can think of that are your traditional species. But for those of us who want to study fish and dolphins and those other exotic animals, that's not necessarily part of the normal curriculum. And so you have to come up with other opportunities and other means to do that. And so that's really what I love doing, which is finding those other means. And if they're not there, putting them together. Where is the Cornell College of Veterinary Medicine located? Well, that's a good point. Um, so Cornell is located in Ithaca, New York, which is upstate New York, kind of in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by lots of cows, um, yeah. but also beautiful. Aren't there a lot of waterfalls? Yeah, there? exactly. Beautiful waterfalls, which I really hadn't had the opportunity to explore until the past few weeks, but can confirm they are gorgeous and the hiking trails are great. Anyone listening who wants to visit, definitely come up. And ice cream, too. The ice cream is amazing. Ooh. I'm there. I'm there. I no, am definitely it, intrigued. It is a beautiful area. I, I have been up there. Um, and for for anyone who is in other countries, you know, we have listeners all over the world except Antarctica. Make it happen. It's important to note that New York is a very big state, and uh, it's not just New York City. New York City is on the very bottom corner of, of New York State, and there's a large area that um, that makes up New York. So. Um, just yeah, no, it's to so, give a little context. <laughs> it's so true because everyone always says, oh, I'll go into the city. Well, that's actually a five and a half hour bus ride from yeah. where I am. <laughs> and, uh, you know, despite that New York does have water by it, where I am is quite landlocked. So, yes, New York, for those of you who've never been there, great place to visit. But um, there is more than just Times Square. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So this is going to come up in the conversation. So, yeah, let's let's introduce Aquadocs. What is Aquadocs? I mean, welcome to the podcast space. We're happy to have you join us. Explain how you got this show started. Sure. So I am really interested in aquatic veterinary medicine, which is a very, very small subset of veterinary medicine. So for those of you listening, if you've got a dog or cat, you take them to the clinic, you have a veterinarian who's going to look at them, give them a great checkup. You know, If there's anything wrong, they're going to help fix them. Amazing. And so that's what I'm studying to be. But Instead of taking care of your dog and cat, I really want to take care of your pet fish. (laughs) Or I want to work with the aquarium. When you go visit and you see all those cool animals, that's where I want to be. Um, Or working on an aquaculture farm and working with those fish farms. So not your traditional space. And so that's really how Aquadocs came about, which is my love for aquatic veterinary medicine. And there aren't that many opportunities to study that, especially within the normal curriculum. And while within medicine, right, even with humans, you have an arm, a dog has an arm, a fish doesn't technically have an arm, but it has fins, you know, Mm -hmm. we all have similar organs. And so there's a lot that you can learn and translate between one species to another. But there are those differences, right? Like we have legs, Um, we have pelvic limbs. So a femur is a bone that's connecting your hip to your knee. Well, dolphins don't have them right? They have tails. So there are some species differences. Just a little bit. Just a little. And so what the importance is, is being able to learn about those species differences and how to take care of those animals. And you can do that by reading manuscripts, 
which are great. And, you know, publishing is a huge component of being a scientist. And I've published and I really advocate for that. But it's kind of hard and not that much fun to read manuscript after manuscript, which are just really long, deep scientific documents. Yeah. Especially well, if you're in school already and that's pretty much all you're doing anyway is reading articles and manuscripts and textbooks and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. So it is an option, but maybe not as much fun. Um, you can take summer courses, which I have done and am doing again this summer, but they're really short and they're pretty competitive. So not everyone has that chance. So I really wanted to do something where anyone could get accessible information about aquatic veterinary medicine and make it in a really fun and interactive way so that I personally could learn more, but also anyone around the world who wanted to join in on my educational adventure could join as well. And so that's really how Aquadox came about. And now we have this podcast community where there are over 30 episodes at this point about different aspects of aquatic veterinary medicine. And there are students, there are professionals, and there are people who don't know a thing about fish previously, but just wanted to learn something new getting involved. And it's incredible to see how much it's grown in such a short period of time. It, it is super interesting. And you know, we're going to talk about why you're on this show, because there is a very kind of specific connection between that practice and seafood. But you know, f- for me, when I think of this, I, I think back to one of my previous jobs. I used to work at um, the New England Aquarium as an educator, uh, but we worked really closely with a lot of the vet staff at the aquarium because we would do presentations, you know, in front of the, the vet area where they, when they were working on the different animals and stuff. And so for me, when I think of aquatic veterinary, I think of the people that I interacted with who would do fish surgeries <laughs> in front of people. And, you know, you'd, you'd, uh, they'd be the ones out there taking the blood samples from the, the Northern fur seals and all this stuff. And it's just, it's really cool. It's one of those things that's really fascinating, especially when you're a kid or when you're, you know, approaching college age and you're thinking about what you want to do with your future. And then you can see these people interacting with these really unique animals that are not just dogs and cats and, but they're still, they're, they're still doing this medical science and it's really cool. And I knew that existed, but again, I've never even really thought about, how does one get into that? Because my goal was to be an aquarist. I wanted to be the people diving in the tanks and, and figuring out how to feed them and how to take care of them and maintain the systems and stuff. So I was like halfway there with, with what I wanted to do. But um, this is a whole other level. This is medical school, really. And uh, how does it relate to the seafood industry? Mostly in aquaculture, right? So what I think of now is like when I used to work in BAP and we would be kind of elbows deep in the standards and talking about some of the things in that standard, it requires input from a like licensed veterinarian basically to do things like administer or approve of different antibiotic usage and stuff like that. So Michelle, talk about how this industry is connected with seafood and aquaculture a little bit. And, and have you spoken with anyone about that on your show? Yeah, absolutely. And before I go into that, I do really want to emphasize something you just mentioned, because it's something that I care a lot about, which is that science communication aspect. And like you said, you could see somebody doing this surgery on a fish or taking blood on the first seal, but not really know what they were doing, not know much about it. Mm-hmm. And 
that's what we're trying to do right now is break down those barriers. And that's something that I care a lot about because oftentimes in veterinary medicine, whether it's within aquaculture, with seafood, or at an aquarium, you don't really see the veterinarian at work most times. It's often behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. but you know subconsciously that those animals are there and being cared for and have great health because of those veterinarians. But you don't don't get to see that connection. And that's really what Aquadox is all about, is breaking down those barriers and having those conversations and highlighting some of the incredible work people do. And it's been a really special part of my personal journey because I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do upon graduation. I know I want to be within aquatics, but as I've learned over the past year with this podcast, aquatics sounds like a small subset of veterinary medicine. But it's huge. There are so many jobs, jobs I didn't even know existed. For example, you can have a job just as a uh, diagnostician, meaning you're in a laboratory, not seeing any live animals, and you're just looking at dead fish all day long, looking for pathogens, which are things that could cause um, disease in, in, a, in an animal. Mm-hmm. And that could be your job. And you are an aquatic veterinarian. You could be advising on councils and not even touching animals live or dead, and it's just policy, but you have a veterinary degree, and so you're coming at it with an animal health approach, and you can still be an aquatic veterinarian. Sure, you can you know, be that traditional person who's taking care of the live animals, but you can own a private practice and only see fish, meaning like people's goldfish, people's koi fish, and you can have a great living. And these were jobs I didn't even know existed. And now I'm realizing, wow, there's so many opportunities. So that's a huge, you you get a client that's got a bunch of koi fish. That's, that's where the money is, you know, (laughs) koi. Yeah. There's so many koi shows. And then, you know, some koi aren't that expensive, but you can have those koi that are thousands of dollars. And if there's a problem with it, someone's going to be willing to spend just as much as they might on, you know, their dog or cat. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really incredible. Um, but as for as for the seafood aspect, you know, that's that's a whole nother sector of aquatic animal health, aquatic veterinary medicine. that honestly, most people don't even know anything about or really think about. I had, um, for example, one of the guests that I had on Aquadox, Dr. Stephen Frattini, he considers himself a seafood veterinarian. He's maybe one of the few in the world who would give themselves that title. And, and what he does is tries to be an ambassador for the seafood and working on their health and really going through the whole supply chain from how are those animals being raised? If it's in an aquaculture facility, are they being wild caught to your plate as a consumer eating that fish? So because a real a focus on the animal welfare aspect of it. Animal welfare is super important, but also not just welfare, which For those of you listening who might not be familiar, welfare is considering a number of things, right? So you're talking about animal health. You're talking about the environment they're living in. How were they killed? Was it humane? Was it not? Um, How were they transported? Lots of things. What type of enrichment were they given, which are just things that you can put in their environment when they're alive that help them be stimulated? Um, So lots of things can be involved in welfare, and that's a huge, huge aspect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What are some of the other topics that you've explored just to kind of give a baseline for your show? Absolutely. So I like to cover a large range of things to really highlight the diversity within the field. So one um, one episode that I did talked about 
um, MRIs in sea lions. So how do you get an MRI scan of a sea lion? Well, you wheel them to the hospital and you put them in an MRI scanner. Well, how do you do that? How do you train that sea lion to be able to sit still and do that? Crazy. <laughs> okay, I was recently watching this show on Disney+. Plus, and you, you've probably heard of it, Michelle. It's some, I forget what it's called, but it's basically behind the scenes at Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it's the show that I never, ever would have thought that I was interested in, but somehow started watching it. And the things that these trainers and veterinarians have to do to get the animals to be in the right positions and perform the right behavior so that they can check them, it's crazy how much time goes into preparing an animal for a physical like scan or check or things like that. I was blown away. Like this one giraffe had to have months and months and months of training to like get it in the right position to check for this one thing. It's an amazing show. As a former cast member at Disney's Animal Kingdom, um, it's- Oh my gosh. Yeah, first off, it's a magical place and a huge shout out to my colleagues who are working there. They do incredible work um, for the animals and and research. But yeah, I mean, what you're saying is is so true and it's something I love highlighting because I've, I've done animal training. I used to train dolphins and sea lions and you can't just go up to them and as especially, you know, from from the veterinary perspective and say, OK, I need this blood sample now. Like, I just want it for a dog or cat. That's easy enough to do because you can restrain them. And that's what that's what we do. We do it very safely and everything's great. What are you going to do when you have a giant, you know, 600 pound dolphin in the water? How are you going to get that blood sample very easily? I'll tell you what. I took a course when I was in college at Mystic Aquarium and it was um, it was marine. Was it marine mammal? psychology or something like that it was it was a lot it was a lot of marine mammal medical stuff and and training was a was a big component of it as well one thing that we did do was a um a a seal necropsy which was one thing but then another thing that we we didn't actually do this but we had to watch a video uh for it which opened my eyes to a whole new world that i didn't really want to be involved in was was the collection of a semen sample from a beluga whale that was a learning experience, to say the least. Uh, if you end up doing that, then I, I applaud you because it didn't look like an easy job. But uh, <laughs> it was the same thing. You know, they, they had certain um, certain males throughout the country that are at zoos and aquariums that uh, they, they, they were approved for breeding with other captive belugas. And they had to be trained to be able to allow them to gather this semen sample, which is... Again, not a job I'm interested in. (laughs) Semen collection is super interesting, and it does, like you're highlighting, it really does require a good amount of training to go into it. But it's really great because there are those animals that are approved by SSPs or species survival plans that are there to help protect the species, and Mm -hmm. they recommend that these specific animals should be bred. And so, you know, some of them, it only takes a few weeks to months to train them up. And you go step by step. You start them with simple things. And we always use positive reinforcement to reward a behavior that you're looking for. We're never forcing a behavior. We're never making the animals do anything they don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's all by encouraging them to do the behavior you're asking them for and rewarding with fish if it's a beluga like you mentioned. And then you get that final behavior. And it's all about the longevity of the species and, and caring for them. So 
Yeah, really, really, really cool research and something that's pretty commonplace in managed care facilities around the U.S. and around the world. So, Michelle, after watching this Disney Plus show, I was like hooked and somehow like I'm like so interested in this stuff now. So just curious, since it's like so niche and seemingly obscure, how did you come across this field and also how did you first of all like how did you know that you wanted to go to veterinarian school and then beyond that how did you get specifically interested in aquatic veterinarian school and aquatic veterinarian practices sure it's a great question so when i was little you know everyone has that dream am i going to be a princess am i going to be an astronaut mine was to be a dolphin trainer always like i have an about me book from preschool and there is a picture of me I drew of myself with some dolphins around me. That was my <laughs> oh, life. I love that. Yeah. And so I always thought that that's what I was going to do. And so when I got to college or university, I was still on track of, I know I want to work with the dolphins and I want to work with aquatic animals. And I had an opportunity to go to Sandcob, which is a penguin and seabird rehabilitation center in Cape Town, South Africa. And I spent my summer there after my first year in college, and I was there just as an intern. So anything they needed me to do, which oftentimes involved um, preparing fish, scrubbing the floors, a lot of cleaning with a fire hose because penguins poop (laughs) everywhere. Oh, my God. It's a projectile. (laughs) It's disgusting. It really is. And it smells and it's so bad. But then you've got this like cute, cuddly penguin and you're like, all right, it's all right. But they bite, too. Oh, they do, especially the adults. Oh, it's so bad. Penguins, man. Yeah, but look, it was at (laughs) this place when I was working with these penguins and the ones that weren't biting me, um, even the ones that were, I was like, wow, I love this. And there was a veterinarian working at the facility because it was a rehabilitation center. So essentially, penguins that were injured that people would find on the beaches, they would call us, we'd go pick them up or they'd bring them in if they were severely injured. And then the veterinary team would try to take care of them. And then they'd go through a rehabilitation process, depending on how injured they were, and eventually be released back to the wild. And I loved every bit of it. It was so cool to see that this animal could come in with a potential, I don't know, like a shark bite, or it just got lost. A lot of penguins ended up in residential areas and people would be like, hi, I don't want a penguin in my front yard. Please take it away. <laughs> it's cute, but it... Pr- it- pooped and it went right through my window and put a hole in my wall (laughs) exactly exactly so it was there that i realized well maybe i can maybe i want to do more than just the training i still love the training but i also really like this medicine thing too and while i was there i also got to do research for a couple days out on wild penguin colonies and helping them monitor where the birds were traveling to between their the normal colonies And that was super cool, too. So I was like, okay, maybe maybe I want to do more. And that was where the transition really happened for me between just training and veterinary medicine. So I went into veterinary school with some schools. You have to have a certain number of hours of experience in order to to apply. And some of them say you need like 500 hours. And of that, 100 has to be small animals, your dogs and cats. You know, 100 has to be horses, or they just said you need a thousand hours, anything you want. So I applied with about 2,000 hours working with dolphins and sea lions, like another 800 or so hours working with other exotics, so like my, my penguin friends, and then maybe like 
50 hours with dogs and cats, five hours with horses, no hours with cows. So I went in and all my colleagues, you know, had worked in small animal practices and adult stuff. And I'm like, nope, I'm here to be a whale doctor and a fish <laughs> doctor. This, this is my, my future. I'm going to go through all this stuff with the dogs and the cats. And I made great friends with the cows this term. But that, that's not really where, where I'm going. And I know I'm not going to go there, too. Right. So back to seafood. If someone is, is going into this field like you are and wants to do um, aquatic veterinary work, what is the draw that would get someone to, to work in the seafood or with aquaculture facilities? What, what, what kind of work goes into that? Because we know it's not going to be animal training because these are farmed animals that are not, they're, they're not used in the way that, that trained animals are in other aspects. And this is something that's being raised to be slaughtered and served to people. So what kind of work is going to be presented to someone who's in this field when it comes to aquaculture and seafood? Why, why are they needed in the field? Yeah, great question. Why are they needed? Well, just like you might expect within any type of production animal, so think your cows, swine, fish, as I'm sure you've highlighted multiple times on your episodes, you know, fish are production animals, and mm -hmm. so you want someone being there to monitor their health and well-being. And if you get any type of disease that could potentially hurt that fish or kill it, you know, one animal within the production system isn't a big deal, right? Like, there are casualties all the time. But if you get something really, really bad that can wipe out your entire population of fish, not only is that bad for the fish, right now they're all dead, but that's bad for you as the farmer because your whole business is now shot. And then what are you going to do, right? Like you have a production goal of hitting so many fish that have to go to these places and, and now it can't get there. And now that's just bad for, I mean, you can keep going, going bigger and bigger circles. Like it's a huge ripple effect. So yeah, so that's really where it comes in. And you know, your day to day, it's really going to depend on the species that you're working with um, and what your, what your farm looks like. So if you're working with salmon, you know, you could be just doing, well, it depends on the species you're working with and what that farm might need, right? Mm -hmm. So as a veterinarian, you might be called out to just do general surveillance. So you need to get, make sure that your certifications are in order, that everything you're doing is, you know, in, in accordance and you're looking out for the fish's welfare and the health and safety. Great. So the, the veterinarian could just walk around. Awesome. You might also get a call that says, Hey, I've got some fish with some really weird white spots all over them. I'm not really sure what that is. And we've had a couple die recently. Can you come check it out? Great. Now you're being called out because there's a potentially suspected pathogen. And now you need to go investigate that. When you get there, if there's a couple dead fish, ideally you want to take a sample of a few fish that are living and, and do diagnostic work on that. So that means doing a necropsy. So cutting open that fish and looking at the internal organs, you're looking at everything externally as well. Um, what's the skin look like? How are the scales doing? Does it have any weird pieces falling off? Does it have all its fins appropriate? When you get inside, are there any weird spots there? Do you see blood anywhere? Then you also want to do an assessment of those animals when they're living. What's their behavior like? Are they swimming normally? Are they floating to the surface? Are they staying at the bottom and not really, you know, coming up at all? Is that normal for that species, right? Because different species of um, aquaculture might be 
you know, used to just kind of swimming in circles. Others might just hang out at the bottom. And so what you do is you have to learn, well, what is natural? What is normal for that specific species? And then is what I'm seeing the same or is what I'm seeing different? And if it's different, is it a bad different? Or is it like a, okay, like it's just a couple individuals, not a big deal. Or is it a, hmm, that makes me suspicious. I'm going to come up with my differentials or list of potential diseases or pathogens that might be a problem and then go from there. That's fascinating. I'd be really interested to see if some of our listeners who have worked on fish farms or are working on fish farms right now, what their experience has been working with aquatic veterinarians. Because like I said, I know from our point of view, when someone is going through the BAP process to get BAP certified, there are certain things that do need to be approved by a I, I, it doesn't, I don't know if it necessarily says aquatic veterinarian, but like an aquatic medical specialist, <laughs> you know, I think, I think the, I'd have to look at it again. I haven't looked at the standards myself in, in, in a little while, but, um, I think it's worded in a way that basically says you need a veterinarian to approve of the, the use of these antibiotics or to make a, a, an accurate diagnostic before you treat for a certain disease, um, stuff like that. So I'm curious how frequently these interactions happen? You know, how often do you need to have an aquatic veterinarian come out to your farm to do some checks? You know, is that something that is routine or is it something that you call them when something comes up? I think, Michelle, you said it very nicely a few minutes ago that it really is no different than when we're talking about farm species, you're living as a, as a farmer or a producer is that's your cash crop, right? It doesn't matter if you're raising corn, cows, or I need a sea fish, catfish, boom. Uh, <laughs> Corn, cows, or catfish. Yeah, there's, corn. There's the name of the episode. The, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Justin, who it we, it took uh, 32 minutes before he actually said anything in this episode. Yeah, welcome to the show, I got, I got, Justin. Welcome the to the show. <laughs> but that's your livelihood. That's your cash crop. So you need to take care of it. You need it to thrive. And I think it's so important to have that expert that can come in and do that diag- diagnox. What's the word I'm looking Diagno- for? Can do diagnosis. The, or analysis of what's going go. on. Yeah, if there's if there's anything that's happening that's going to affect your your end goal, your product, then y- you need to have that done. And the sooner you can have that intervention take place, the better off you'll be. So it, it's just so important, no matter what what it is that you're farming. I guess I could say. Right. The other thing, though, that I think about because we talked, you talked about how most people go to veterinarian school and they're focusing on small animals, you know, dogs, cats cows, you know, farm animals, like land farm animals. And a, a very small percentage of these people are going into the aquatic side of things. Some of these farms are like out in the middle of nowhere out in Thailand. Like it's got to be difficult to get in touch with someone who can, like a professional that can come out and do this work on your farm if you're in some of these really kind of rural areas out there. Do you think that there's enough aquatic veterinarians out there for aquaculture to actually effectively maintain good health in their fish? Or is this something that we really need to boost some numbers? And before you answer, does technology play a role? Those are good questions and good points. And, you know, I'm still learning in the field. So, uh, you know, bear that in mind. But what is really great is there is an international network of aquatic veterinarians. I was really hoping you would say that. I was really hoping so we could link to it Nailed in the show it. notes. <laughs> Nailed to it. So WAVMA, which is the World Aquatic Veterinary Medical Association, is 
a community, going back to what we really started this episode off, which is community-based. So aquatic veterinary professionals from around the world who are there to promote good health and good management of these aquatic species. And so like the example you mentioned in Thailand, there's definitely veterinarians out there who are doing exactly that. And I can't speak to how easy it is to get to some of those more rural farms just because I've never been to Thailand. Though if anyone's listening, if you want to, you know, teach a young, (laughs) eager veterinary student, send me a message, go to our website, would love to come shadow you and work for you. Anyway, um, always excited to go learn new cool things and and go fun places. But um, but yeah, so and it's what's really cool about WAVMA as well is that we have a great email listserv. And so I can't tell you how many emails I get every single day where somebody will email the listserv and say, hey, like, I just noticed this thing in you know these fish and I have no idea what to do. I've never seen it before in my collection animals or on the farms that I've worked. Does anyone have any insight? And then it's not just you and your training, but you're getting advice from people around the world who might have dealt with that. Or if not, maybe they've seen something similar in their species and they give them right back and be like, hey, like I haven't worked with trout, but in my salmon over here, I saw that. Or in the tilapia that I work with, we saw this, maybe that's useful. Um, and so that's like a huge aspect is that, you know, aquatic veterinary medicine is still relatively young. Um, and there's still a lot that we need to study. And I was interviewing someone for the podcast um, for Aquadox last week where we were talking about a, an infectious bacteria called Streptococcus agalactiae which um, is really, really bad in some fish species. And right now they're working on it in tilapia. But there's a lot of species of streptococcus. There's even one that, you know, affects humans. And are there ways that we can learn from one and help the other? So when they're affecting other species of fish, is there something we can learn to, to prevent that based on what we already know? So is there a community? Yes. Are there ways that we can go help those rural farms absolutely um a lot of what professional um a lot of what aquatic veterinarians do is that consulting side where we're not on the farms 24 7 but when there's problems or when you need certifications and stuff like that you give a call and then we go it's pretty similar to some of the poultry industry as well where you're just traveling around the country around the world to different places doing inspections and you know working out those diseases if they arise and stuff like that it's fascinating so we will make sure that we link to that i don't know if it's just a website that you go to or if there's an email that we can put in there yeah i'll um, give you i'll give you the um i'll write that down i'll give you the link we also just partnered with them like two weeks ago which is very exciting great so i'm sure they'll be very happy that i'm mentioning them in this (laughs) yeah yeah and we would we would love to be in contact with them too because i'm sure being in contact with them could be really really helpful uh from our standpoint you know in our advocacy work and our our we're we're always looking how we can help educate and help push this industry forward and if it's some if it's a a connection that we can make between the producers and the this network of aquatic veterinarians i think that'll be really beneficial too so yeah we will yeah, put that awesome. in the show notes and we will you know be happy to make that introduction to any any one of our listeners who's looking to get in contact with some medical awesome. professionals for sure perfect yeah and if any producers um, or anyone else listening is looking for some consulting or for guidance on on the WAVMA website there's a list of aquatic animal health professionals near me 
Um, you can also look up, there's a lot of consulting businesses as well. Dr. Hugh Mitchell, who is someone who will be on an upcoming episode of Aquadox, is also someone that you can go to. So lots of really great resources if you're looking for some guidance on your farm. That's awesome. Uh, we appreciate that. We always want to build the community and just make everyone better and help people out as much as we can. So we really appreciate that. Maddie and Justin, I'm, I've kind of taken over a little bit. Do you guys have anything else that you wanted to say to Michelle or ask her? Yeah, I have another question. So we've talked about how aquatic vets can interact with fish farms. Is there any, are there any other places in the seafood industry that aquatic vets touch upon that aren't necessarily on the actual farms? That's a really good question. And I would say yes. I would say that I can't elicit every single step along that way. But there's an aspect that's called One Health. And it's essentially where you have environmental health, human health, and animal health all coming together. And we as veterinarians play a huge role in that as do doctors, as do people who are just trying to care for the environment. And so when we as consumers are eating that fish, whatever that might be, seafood, you know, crab, whatever it is, you know that there have been people along the way confirming that it is safe for you to eat. And whether that was a veterinarian double checking that fish, um, for example, though it's not in seafood, but in the meat industry with, with cows, if there's any type of illness, in that cow, that can be a reason that it might not get to go to the slaughterhouse. And so you have somebody checking that animal, making sure were there any abnormalities. And the same thing happens with fish. You know, you're double checking. Is this, is this safe? Another really great example is if a fish or really any other production animal, um, it just varies based upon the drug that you might administer. But let's say it needs some sort of antibiotic or other drug. There are withholding times between the day that you administer and when it can actually be consumed by a human. And sometimes that might be only seven days, not a big problem. With sometimes, it can be weeks to months. And if that production trend, you know, you're going to market at six months, if, if you have to wait two months after you're done with that dose to go, well, that might not. Be, it might not work, right? And so then you have to make the decision, is it even worth the time and the money to give that animal that drug? Maybe not. And so those are, while you might not be on the farm for that, those are some of the other ways that animal health professionals are involved in ensuring that when you as a consumer goes to eat your fish, it's of the highest quality and ideally you're not going to get sick from it. Yeah, that's a really big thing for producers because you know, some of these drugs do leave residues in the product and FDA and some other organizations require residue testing to see if there's any traces of like certain antibiotics and stuff, because it it brings up the whole issue of antibiotic uh, resistance, not just in fish, but also in humans. You know, if we're consuming fish that have residues of certain antibiotics, then we become more and more resistant to that antibiotic. And then it's not useful for us. Uh, And so it's just a really, that is a conversation that could get really involved. And I believe have we talked, have we spoke, we've spoken with someone about antibiotic resistance, haven't we, guys? Do you remember? I'll have to look through. We're, we're over a hundred episodes at this point, so I, I don't remember every episode, but. Um, I don't blame you. I, I know that uh, we have had some presentations at our goal conference about antibiotic resistance, which were really good. And maybe it's something that we should bring back again um, as a, as a topic, because it's fascinating. It's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah it's a it's huge a big... issue. And it's something that we 
like in, in our training as well, they're really, really emphasizing that when you're presented with a mock case and they say, okay, do you want to give this prophylactically? Meaning we're not really quite sure what that animal has yet, but like, let's just give some antibiotics just in case. Or do you want to like wait and do some testing first? Mm-hmm. And they're really trying to ingrain in us that, hey, like it is not okay all the time to just give antibiotics because you're contributing to that resistance. Right. And I, and I think that it's a huge issue on farms. I think there is a lot of prophylactic antibiotic use in the aquaculture industry as a whole. And that's that's something that we've been trying to kind of figure out as an advocacy group, kind of help aid best practices in that regard as well. So like I said, that conversation's huge and we could go on forever. And I'm not really qualified to speak on, on that behalf. So I, I don't want to get too far into that because I don't want to say something that may not be accurate. But um, I, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it is something important for people to think about, particularly people in the industry that are buying fish and people that are producing fish. You know, the consumers worry about this stuff too. So it's in everyone's best interest to do it right. And the best people to ask are people like Michelle. Oh, you're too kind. Well, I don't want to go for too long. I don't, you know, I don't want to lock you down for too long. But uh, is there anything else that you'd like to get out there while we have you on the, on the show? I think just to everyone listening, you know, there's a lot that one could say about aquatic medicine in the seafood industry, in the aquaculture industry, and this is certainly not the end of that conversation. It's more just the beginning. And really, it just comes down to education and putting yourself out there to learn more. And whether you're you know, a producer and you're dealing with thousands of fish and you're trying to figure out how best to manage them, or you're just a consumer and you know you like going to the grocery store and getting that salmon, putting it on the grill and eating it, or you know somewhere in between, you might not be thinking about the medicine side of things every single day. You know, you leave that to us, the ones that are, you know, doing that for a living. But it's important to recognize that behind everything that we do individually in whatever profession we have, there, there's always something happening behind the scenes. And everything that we are doing as aquatic animal health professionals is to best support that animal, that individual animal's life, making sure that they have the best health, the best welfare, and then Supporting that producer, making sure that they're able to go about their business, their life, and be in the best spot for their success. Going down all the way the supply chain, those who are transporting that product from farm to plant or whatever it is, making sure that they still have their jobs and everything is going well for them, all the way to you as the consumer who's going to eat that piece of salmon for dinner. You know, when you finish that meal, you want to make sure that you can go out on a nice, lovely walk with your family and not feel sick afterwards. And so we might not think about it all the time, but there's a lot involved in that process and conversations like this are just really great to be able to bridge that gap from folks who might not be thinking about it all the time to those of us who are, and then I get to learn something more from all of you listening. Um, so that's really that's really what I'd want to leave with. And as someone who is always about learning more, I highly encourage you listening that if anything I mentioned, even if it was just like, how the heck do you get a sea line into an MRI or CT machine? <laughs> like, go check it out. Go learn about it. Because there's a lot of really, really great aspects to aquatic veterinary medicine. And I'd love to share all of that with you. Well, Michelle, that's a good segue for what I was going to ask you is some of our listeners always want to learn more. And if they want to learn more about what you are doing or how to listen to your podcast, Aquadox, how, how can they contact you? One and two, where can they listen to your show? So happy you asked that. 
Um, so for anyone listening who might want to hear more from me um, or from my amazing guests, you can check us out on any of your normal podcast streaming sites. So Apple, Google, Spotify, we're on all of them. It's Aquadocs, like A-Q-U-A-D-O-C-S, because we're Aquadoctors. And that's that's our podcast. You can check out our website, aquadocspodcast.com. Uh, we're on social media. I spend a lot of time on Instagram trying to share cool things. I share a lot of journal articles as well from my guests on the show about some of the new research they've been doing. Um, so really great stuff. You can feel free to send me an email at aquadocspodcast at gmail.com or message me on any of the social media. And I'd be more than happy to chat with any and all of you. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you again so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I'm really glad you reached out to us. And I, I love sharing uh, the the space, the virtual space with other podcasters and, and just building up this network that we have and, and the community of listeners uh, that we have. So thank you so much again for joining us. Again, this is Michelle Greenfield from uh, Cornell College of Veterinary Medicine. So Michelle, thanks again. Thank you all so much. Really great to be here. Folks, that was our conversation with Michelle Greenfield from Aquadocs Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you check out her show because it's awesome and you should support her as much as you support us. Thank you so much for listening. Again, remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded to your device automatically and then you can listen to us whenever you want follow us on social at aquademia pod want to send us an email go ahead and do so podcast at aquaculturealliance.org or fill out our contact us form on our website aquaculturealliance.org go to the education tab halfway down you will see the aquademia section also be sure to check out the show notes of this episode because we'll have links to a bunch of different things including michelle's podcast That's right. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao.